Everything as a Service Journal is an online publication built to help technology solution providers identify and quickly tap into new sources of recurring revenue. Good day to you and welcome to the Zazzcast. I'm Mike Monticello, co-founder of Everything as a Service Journal. This episode is part of a subcategory of Zazzcast episodes that we're calling The Secret Sauce. On these podcasts, we want to highlight some of the actions that IT solution providers have taken or are taking to improve their businesses, whether that's increasing revenue, reducing expenses, streamlining operations, and more. Essentially, we're looking for our guests who are IT solution providers or your peers to share a few ingredients to their secret sauce. It's our hope that in joining us for these episodes, you'll pick up a few best practices, principles, nuggets of wisdom that you can apply to your own recipe for success. Today, we're going to discuss some management best practices, particularly as they relate to finding, hiring, and retention of staff. To share her story today is Dawn Sizer. Let's jump right in. Dawn, welcome to the Zazzcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So to get started, can you take just a minute to tell us a little bit about you and your company? Sure. So my company is Third Element. We are in South Central Pennsylvania. We are technological mecca here right next to Amish country. So um, we've been doing the MSP world here for a while. Uh, We actually started in 2005 and we actually started out as a subsidiary of another company that did specifically security. And within our first year, we actually spun up into our own corporation and we have been been an an MSP ever since. So that's, that's a little bit of how we got started and where we were going from there. And the weird part about it is that we didn't know what an MSP was back in 2006. It wasn't really a term. We have been doing the MSP model since 2006. So we never had to change the way that we did business the way a lot of MSPs did where they had to switch over from break fix into MSP. We have been there from the very beginning. Nice, okay, so you're kind of born into that model then. Yeah, 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 we got lucky. Well, I'm excited to get started here. So let's dive right in. Now, many business owners proclaim their people to be the main reason for their success, but finding the right people, putting them in a position to succeed requires good leadership and good management. So let's break down the conversation into a few sections here, and let's talk about finding the right people. And so the first question for you is, you know, what tools or resources do you use to find and recruit new employees? Sure. So I wish there was like some magic combination of things that we could say that this is this is how you do it. And this is the way that it works every single time. But that's not the way that it ever works. I mean, you write up these awesome job descriptions and you think I'm going to get all these fantastic people that are going to apply. But the truth of the matter is, is that you write up your job description, you get them posted. We use ZipRecruiter. It seems to work for us in our area. Um, We usually post them on Facebook. And we also start that whole like 
hey, all of our friends, we're looking to, you know, hire some new people. This is what we're looking for. They need to be technical, you know, that kind of thing. So we get, you know, the word out on the on the usual things, which is the zip recruiters, the indeeds, that that type of um, you know, web platform on Facebook so that it can go a little bit viral through, you know, the industry and the channel. And then that whole friend of a friend thing, because you just never know whose aunt's uncle's brother, sister's cousin is looking for a job and they might just be the right person for you. So that's how we find people. Okay. When it comes to using ZipRecruiter, uh, what are the costs associated with that? Um, you know, it's a, it's about $900 per month to actually, so it's not a small spend. Um, as far as that goes, I think I, I, I kind of get a little nervous every time I have to pull the trigger on that one because it, it seems like it's a lot of money. But the truth of the matter is if you think about how much money that you're going to spend on a person just to get them hired, get them trained, so on and so forth, that $900 really isn't that bad. Yeah. And are you um, hiring primarily people in your local area or are you hiring people all over the United States or even all over the world? It's primarily in our local area. So we're talking about, you know, a 50 to 60 mile radius around where we are. Okay. Okay. Can you share a little bit about differences in hiring a salesperson versus a technician? Are you using ZipRecruiter for both of those types of positions or? We we do. We typically do. So no matter what type of position that we're looking for, we're using the same types of platforms. And that that may or may not be the right situation for you, depending on you know where you are in the geographic location in the United States here or across the world. Uh, for us, it works. But the other things that we look at with a salesperson versus a technician is that we write our we write our ad differently for a salesperson than we do a technician. Technicians think differently. They look for different things. They're motivated differently. So you have to write the, you know, the job description and the ad a little bit differently to appeal to each types of those people. Salespeople typically are more about the money and what the compensation package looks like and what the commission breakdown is. You know, you talk more about those types of things. So it's more angled towards the money. And technicians typically are more worried about what type of job is it? What am I going to get out of it at the end of the day? And what are the benefit package that's attached to it? So you include that kind of information in your recruitment ads? Some of it we do, yeah. Okay. The, I mean, the exact details we don't, but sure. you write them a little bit differently to appeal to different people, yes. Okay, okay. So um, so you have someone reach out to you, or you, you know, you're setting up potential interviews, or you're looking through resumes. What do you look for in a good employee? That is a fantastic question, because having you have a stack of resumes or you have a whole bunch of files that come in, whether it's, you know, from the web or whatever, and you're weeding through them and you're trying to get a sense of what a person is through a piece of paper, essentially. And it's really difficult to do. So what we end up doing is we look at, we look for specific criteria, like, are they job hopping a lot? If they're job hopping a lot, maybe we don't want to look at them. You know, are they, are they staying at a place for a really long time? Cause that's kind of a, that's another red flag. So whether they're, you know, really short periods of time at places or really long periods of time at places, that's typically a red flag for a uh, technician. And then after we kind of weed them out a little bit into the ones that we think we want to talk to, we'll do a real quick telephone interview with all of them, see how they speak, see how they communicate, see what type of person that they are. And if that goes well, we'll bring them in for an actual face-to-face. -face. Okay. Or in the time of COVID, it's yeah. more like a, you know, screen-to-screen, -screen, but... 
Yeah. 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 I was wondering, I, I know that with COVID, obviously people are now being forced to utilize video conferencing a lot more than they have. And I think many people are discovering the benefits of it. It's nice to have a, uh, a face-to-face conversation. In fact, you know, this the podcast studio we're using right now has a, a, a face-to-face component to it, which is nicer than just having a telephone call. Do you have any interest in maybe taking that first initial interview that you described as a telephone call and maybe setting it up immediately as a, as a video conference going forward? Or is that a little overkill for a first first interview? Um, for us, the the initial communication, just having the quick phone call, some of them last a minute, some of them are five minutes. Like I don't want to spend a ton of time actually like talking and interviewing somebody if I don't get a really good feel for them right off the bat. So for us, no, that second one though, I really don't mind whether it's in person or whether it's, you know, screen to screen like this or video, you know, Teams or Zoom or whatever the case might be. You're still getting the person in front of you. You're still getting to see what their body language is. You're still getting to see how they communicate and whether or not they're looking at you and, you know, all the things that you're looking for in a regular interview anyway. Sure. Okay. So uh, help me understand then the first interview, that call that you said could be as short as a minute. What are, what are some of the topics that you're covering during that call? What are some of the questions that you ask that help you maybe determine whether there's potential? The first question I usually ask is why us? Okay. I mean, it's a really simple one. And if they don't have an answer right off the bat, or I just need a job, or, you know, they haven't, you know, looked into us at all, they just submitted their resume, then the call's usually about done. Okay. All right. So they have to show some level of um, preparedness. They did some research. They're familiar with your company, something like that. Exactly. I would have emailed them ahead of time, let them know what time I was calling, you know, that kind of thing. So it's not like I'm just calling randomly and they're not prepared or anything like that. At least I give them, you know, some time to get themselves squared away so that they could sit down, look at us, look at, you know, what they were actually applying for. And still some people you call them and they're like, who are you again? Yeah. I'm like, okay, we're done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, do you do any kind of uh, personality testing or any other technical testing before you hire anyone? We Yes and no. We don't do the personality testing. What we do, we really do screen. The very first interview that we do is for culture to see if they're going to fit within our culture. You know, how do you do things? How do you communicate? What's the best way to communicate with you? What are things that you like? You know, will you fit within our culture? So I think we do more of that than the actual personality test. I wish that, and I don't, I, I think there are plenty of tests out there. Like there's the disc personality test. There's a couple of other ones out there that you can use. Some people have really, really good experiences with them. And other people are like, you know what? I did this with this person and it showed up this way. And that's not exactly how they actually are. So it just didn't work out for us. So I've heard, I've heard really good things and then some mixed reviews as well with some of them. Gotcha. Okay. So it sounds like you're, you're a believer that someone fitting in your corporate culture is really important if they're maybe even lacking a little bit in the technical skill side or lacking in some other area those are things that might be able to be taught or trained versus you know someone's attitude is just something that they're probably going to bring to the table and not be able to uh change much is that accurate exactly that is very accurate i would highly highly say that we can teach technical skills that's not a yeah. huge deal 
but I can't teach you how to be nice. I can't teach you how to be kind. I can't teach you how to communicate well. I can't. Yeah. You either can or you can't. Yeah. So um, before we move on, I guess I'll just throw this out there. Are there any other things you do during the hiring process that you think are a little bit unique that we haven't talked about? I mean, like I said, we do the first interview that's for culture. Um, we do have them come in. We have them actually sit down with most of our staff at that point so that they can talk to them, ask them anything that they'd want to ask. I fully believe that it's really important for a new person coming into the company to get not only the perspective from an owner or a C-suite, but also from some of the other people that work there. How, do you, how are you going to know what it's really like to work there unless you speak to people that do and they're willing to tell you what it's really like? And I think that's important. But the other thing is, you know, the second interview is the technical one. And being able to, you know, speak with them at a technical level. What do you know? What do you not know? What can we fix? What can we not fix at that point? Because a lot of people, when they write their resumes, you have to assume that what's on there, most of it is correct. Probably some of it is a little fluff. And weeding out what the fluff actually is, there's plenty of people that think that they're going to come in and be able to um, kind of guess their way through an interview or fake it. And a lot of our technical interviews, you cannot fake. Either you know the screens, you know where the things go, or you don't. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be awkward if you faked your way to that point. And uh, <laughs> it is it is very awkward. And the interview is over very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's assume you found the, the right candidate. Uh, you, you hire someone. Can you describe, you know, that that bringing them on board, bringing them into the company and, and training them? What does that process typically look like? For us, it's um, it's a little different than most places that I've ever seen. We started a couple years ago writing out an onboarding process and gone through a training program, and they had described theirs. And it was it was actually you know a couple days worth of onboarding. It looked great, show you how to use the tools, whatever. And I said, you know what? I don't think that's nearly enough because you think about the very first time that you hire somebody and how long it actually takes them to get up to speed on on what it is that you do and how you do it and the way that your your culture and processes all work a week or two weeks isn't nearly enough so we implemented a 90-day onboarding process for all of our employees and it doesn't matter what type of employee that you are there's a 90-day process to it so is that unique it probably is and probably some of you are thinking oh my gosh 90 days what am i going to do for 90 days with these people <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you start day one with, you know, literally I have breakfast with my employees that morning and we sit down and we go through all the paperwork over breakfast and we start there and then they get logged into some of the tools and we allow them time to actually go through each one of the tools, go through all the training courses for them, understand how they function, be able to job shadow everyone in the company not just their particular job. It's very helpful to see, you know, what every single person does so you know who to talk to, when to talk to them, you know, what makes sense with what person and, you know, who do is it okay if I go to the CEO to talk to some talk about something? In our case, yes it is. I would rather have somebody come to me and say, "Hey, I have a problem with this thing or, you know, I need some back history on this client. What can you tell me about it?" And it's okay for them to come to me to do that. Mm. So we do a lot of that. We actually utilize LinkedIn Learning pretty uh, obsessively, I would say, uh, for a lot of things. And whether that's, you know, simple um, 
you know, generic courses that you can take down to, we utilize a lot of the um, CompTIA certifications. So I require that all of our employees have their A+, their Security+, their Network+, and we use all of that through there. Some of that's done during the first 90 days as well, because I like everybody to have the exact same baseline, especially in the technical level. So those are some of the things that we do. Okay, that's that's great. Um, obviously, there are costs associated with this. How much money are you are you spending on on the training during these ninety days for for one employee? <laughs> that, that's a really good question. A lot. <laughs> um, the the LinkedIn learning. I mean, you guys can go up and and see what that costs. So that's you know per person. You figure everybody has an account that's yearly. Uh, so that's what that cost plus the cost of uh, whatever the certifications are. They're anywhere between two fifty and three fifty per certification, somewhere around in there. Depending again, depending on the certifications. Those are the CompTIA ones. Um, just as they go through the rest of those, there's plenty of other certifications that they get. Some are more expensive. Some are less. But in the first year, we figure it's probably anywhere between three to four thousand dollars per employee wow. just in certifications and training. And that's not time. Now you still have the time on top of that too. During the first 30 days, hardly any of my people ever pick up a telephone. Hardly any of them actually work a ticket on their own. So there's a lot of stuff that goes into the training on that first 30 days too. So you have their salary that first 30 days plus the additional costs in training and certifications. So it's a good bit of money that you wrap up into every single employee. Yeah. I know that that the LinkedIn education, there's a wide variety of of education. You mentioned some technical training. Are there any, I don't know, any courses that you're a big fan of for your employees that might have to do with just inner office relations or management or anything like that? that you There are. There are so yeah. many really good soft skills classes, everything from this is how you answer the telephone to here's how you deal with inner office politics. There are phenomenal courses in, in LinkedIn learning. And uh, for anybody that does it for their corporation, when you do a, a package, I think it's a package of 10, you actually get a person that's assigned to your account. They can actually build courses for you. So you have a complete learning path for each one of your employees, which is really nice. So you can say, you know what, I have a, a technical person that isn't overly um, people friendly and I need to have some soft skills classes put in for them. And here's where they really struggle. And your um, account manager can actually recommend a learning path for that person. Wow, that's that's really interesting. That's a that's a good uh, bit of information there. Thanks. No, for there sharing. you go. <laughs> so, let's talk then about making sure that your employees remain productive and probably more importantly, happy in their jobs. Uh, what what steps do you take to to keep employees happy and and engaged with the company? Happy is, is always good. Yeah. Um, so we do a lot of different things. Like every the last Friday of every month, we actually. Uh, have a like playtime essentially. Um, we have our company meeting at the end of the month, and then after that, we will schedule some type of group outing. This uh, this month, we're actually going to a cinema. We have like a, a a town cinema kind of thing. It's privately owned, and they open it up for groups of less than ten. We're actually going to see the original Exorcist, so so that'll be for Halloween. That'll be fun. Um, so we do that kind of thing. One week, um, about two months ago, we went hiking. Uh, we've done all kinds of interesting things. We did rock climbing one time. It's just a matter of, you know, what type of things do we want to do and how do we build better relationships 
within the teammates and mm-hmm. how do we you know get that to happen some of it happens organically in the office some of it is that, that outside the office kind of stuff where we can just go do things as a group as a as a manager how do you identify um, how and I guess when in the process of of hiring or onboarding do you identify what really motivates your employees? You know, some people might be motivated by advancement and earning, you know, some special title. Other people, obviously, money driven, um, and that's going to differ for for each employee. Do you, do you take steps to understand that? And if so, how how do you go about doing it? We do. And again, during that onboarding process, it's very important to sit down with the new employees periodically. Uh, we do it, you know, the end of the first week, the end of the second week, the end of the first month, the end of the second month, and again, at the end of the third month. And talking to them and, and working through, you know, how are things going? How do you feel? What do you like? What do you dislike? What would make it better for you? You know, the, the language that you use and the conversations that you have will give you that information. It's just a matter of really listening to the employee and let them tell you what is best for them, for each person that you have in your organization. So that's that's the best way that I found to do it. They'll come right out and tell you. You just have to ask them. Yeah, I was going to ask, have have you yourself or anyone else in management, had have you had to go through training to be able to ask these types of questions or even think this way? Because there are a lot of managers that don't don't even consider having those types of conversations. So how do you yeah. get Yeah. So the way that we got there is probably not the way that I would recommend. <laughs> um, we, <laughs> we have, my husband and I have an autistic child and figuring out a way to communicate with him was how we figured a lot of this out. So figuring out the way that he learned and figuring out the way that he does things and figuring out the best way to communicate with him and applying all of that to our company was probably one of the best things that we did. Like like I said, not what I would recommend to everyone else because this is certainly not not the base that you would want to start with. But what we have found is that you know everybody is somebody else's weirdo at the end of the day. We just had our own to kind of model off of and use as a guinea pig, and he was kind of the person perfect person to do that with. So he taught us a lot of, you know, here's how we can communicate with somebody that struggles with communication. And here's how, you know, we can figure out what it is this person needs during the day, even when they're not telling you verbally or giving you the, even the bodily cues that would tell you what they need. Wow. That's fascinating. That's, that's really interesting. Um, wow. Okay. Um, what, what other, before we move on, are there any other actions that you've taken or any other lessons learned uh, that you want to share concerning keeping employees happy and productive? Oh my gosh, there are so many lessons learned, right? Because I mean, anytime that you have a business and you've been in business for a couple of years, you've learned all the things that one, you shouldn't do, yep. two, the things that you definitely shouldn't do, <laughs> the things that you'll never do again. So that said, I mean, there's plenty of things like, keeping them happy, especially in the tech field, everybody will tell you every, we're all food motivated. We really are <laughs> having, you know, sodas or waters or whatever readily available that you're not charging your people for figuring out a way to make sure that there are snacks here. Um, so people don't get hangry through the day when they're <laughs> dealing with clients. That's always a good thing. Um, and having, we actually have a dog at the office, which is kind of fun. The guys like having the dog here. I can always tell who's having a bad day because that's where the dog is hanging out. So that's another, you know, indicator for us. 
but it's the the little breaks through the day the the silly stuff like having you know food around having you know space available for people to just get away from the phones for a little while get away from you know the actual business for five minutes through the day we have a courtyard for people to go out and sit in that kind of thing that does keep them happy and i mean and the other thing is actually taking care of your people is the next thing and when i say taking care of them it's that benefit package and i don't know if you wanted to segue into that but i'd love to talk about benefits absolutely so So tell, tell me a little bit about your benefits package so continuing education, obviously, that's a perk for everybody. And I, we've talked about what the cost of that looks like. Making sure that they have adequate, you know, health care, vision care, dental care, that kind of thing. Um, some people pay for that. Some people um, pay for half of it. We decided when we started this company that if we have people that work here, we would cover the cost of their health care. So we cover the cost of that 100%. Uh, you know, 401k, just like everybody else has. We offer a financial planner for every single one of our employees. So we pay the cost for a financial planner to come in to work with them um, personally, professionally, whatever the case might be, build a budget with them, make sure that they can, you know, afford to live, afford to pay off college loans, you know, whatever the case is for them personally, and then to make sure that they're ready to actually start investing into the 401k after that first year of employment. We'd like to have um, AFLAC available for people because, you know, if you get out, you break your leg, you do something silly like that, you need to have some sort of, you know, coverage for that. The company picks that up, too, so that everybody is in a situation where really all they have to worry about is coming to work, getting their job done and going home. And they're just taking care of because if you're going to take care of your people, your people will take care of you. Yeah. Wow. So is there any way to kind of quantify how much your benefits package is uh, for your employee? I know that they could differ a little bit, but generally speaking. It's over $10,000 per year per employee. Yeah. That's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. And the whole um, giving your employees healthcare, that's a rarity nowadays for sure. It it is, but at the end of the day, it it really does pay for itself. It pays for itself in a lot of different ways, but loyalty is one of them. And that's something you can't quantify. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Um, So let's move on then. Um, Let's talk about making the decision to hire someone. Uh, I know, you know, especially in the break fix world where, you know, you've got these peaks and valleys of revenue, it's often very difficult to make the decision to know whether or not you even have the money to hire another salesperson or a technician. So I'm wondering, how do you guys decide whether your business can afford to bring on more staff? What are you looking at to do that? I mean, we obviously we look at numbers. How much money are we making versus how much money is going out every month? You know, are we making enough to actually support another person? And then you have to figure out what the actual cost of your people are too. So, you know, it's not just the the salary costs, the benefits cost, it's the you know workers' comp cost, it's all the taxes that go along with it. So, it's you know the the cost of the the salary plus almost half again to actually hire somebody. So once you're to that point and you know you have the work coming or you know your monthly recurring revenue is enough to support it, that's when we know when we can hire. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Have you ever um, any mistakes that you've made over the years with that where maybe you got went <laughs> got got a little too aggressive or or anything? Anything worth sharing? Nope. No, never. <laughs> oh, you're perfect. <laughs> perfect. I don't know that we've ever been 
overstaffed. How's that? I don't think that's ever been the situation. I think we've all been in this situation where I could really use another person, but I can't find enough people to actually staff the way that we would like to be staffed. Or I wish I had more money to be able to just have that extra person, even though I don't necessarily need them right now, but at least then I could have them trained when I do. So I think we've all been in that situation. And the truth of the matter is, is that you're always a little bit behind when you start to hire. Because you've reached the point of, okay, I don't think I can take on any more work at this point. I really need to hire. So by the time you get somebody hired and trained, you're actually just a little bit behind the eight ball. So we have adjusted that a little bit. Like we know that we're just about to that point right now. We know we need to hire. We're hoping to hire at least two more people by the end of the year. But that's probably not going to be that aggressive. We'll probably get one by the end of the year and maybe another one in the first quarter of next year. Okay. So yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you you just walked through the process that you take to find, recruit, interview, train. I mean, that's a long process. If you have, you know, you bring on a giant customer and you need more people tomorrow that's not going to happen because this process takes so long. Have you ever, um, so you can do some forecasting, like you said, looking, you know, find some, some numbers or some metrics that indicate, okay, maybe we need to start looking now because, you know, we're, we're trending in a direction where we're going to need someone. Have you ever relied on any of those, you know, like, uh, not, not a temp, but I know that you can do like outsourced, um, you know, technicians and things like that. Um, I'm thinking of uh, what IT by Design. I think it is a company mm-hmm. that does that. Have you dabbled in yeah. that at all? We have not. In our business, we have a, a couple of things that require uh, background checks and FBI clearances uh, and things like that. So we can't rely on some of that. So what we do rely on, and we lean heavily on QBRs to speak with our clients. Like, hey, are you adding more people? What's going on with you guys? What does your forecasting look like? Because if we know where they're at, we can kind of judge where we need to be at for the next quarter too. So talking to your clients is a big one on that, especially when you are relying on that information to make the decisions that you need to make to keep up with their growth. Sure. Okay. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, How about... Moving on, let's talk about mistakes and failures. I, I really think, you know, we, we grow the most um, after we fail and we learn from those um, failures, hopefully. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if you could share maybe the biggest mistake that you think you've ever made with hiring and what lesson did you oh learn? Oh my gosh, which, which one? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'd like to say that we've never made mistakes, but that's that's just ridiculous. I mean, we've all made a ton of them and you're right. You learn from every mistake that you make. I think the biggest one, and we all make this, is that, you know, we decide that we want to get somebody that we can shape and mold and and they don't have all of this baggage coming with them, right? And sometimes that's not in your best interest, getting somebody with some experience that's going to cost you more money up front and you know it's going to cost you more money, but then you don't have to train them from nothing to get them up to the point where you need them to be out of the gate. So there's that that point of diminishing returns of knowledge versus seniority kind of thing. I don't know if those are the exact words that we want to use, but uh, we usually prefer to take somebody either right out of school or within the first few years of having a job 
and bring them in. And we usually bring them in on our service desk or as, a, as one of the knock uh, people and start training them there. And then within a couple of years, they go into different divisions and stuff like that. So they might be in, you know, deployments or projects or whatever within a year or so of being here. But having somebody start at the service desk level kind of gives them a better feel of what our culture is, how we do things before kind of throwing them to the wolves and deployments or projects or, or things like that. And I think sometimes that the fact that we tend to do that is a mistake. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Even though it does work, it takes a lot longer. It takes, you know, longer for people to get up to a point of, you know, being really good at projects, being really good at deployments because they've spent a year basically troubleshooting other people's problems. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. All right, well, thanks for sharing that. <laughs> it it sounds like as an organization and you as a as a leader in your business that you've got a really good grasp on the human resources aspects of your company. I know you're not saying you're perfect, but it clearly you have some processes in place and some best practices. I, I know that you're a member of the ASCII group. I'm wondering how much of your, I guess, education as a manager and some of these best practices, best practices that we've discussed here today, how much of that have you, you know, kind of gained from being an ASCII group member and attending some of their sessions? Has that informed you at all? You know, I, the exact sessions, I would say some some yes, some no. You, you get a little nugget of knowledge out of every single person that you talk to, hear speak, you know, whatever. But the relationships that you tend to form with other MSPs and other MSP groups and, and things like that from places like the ASCII group and, and such. I mean, I've made some really, really good friends through ASCII. Which I mean, one of them is like not even fifty miles from me, and we, you know, talk, get together. Troy, if you're listening, hi. Um, <laughs> so that kind of thing, and we compare notes and we learn from each other. And he'll be like, you know, here's something that I did, and it w went horribly wrong. Please don't do this, you know. And I'll be like, okay, I won't do that. Here's something that I did that went really, really well. Maybe try that instead. And I think that relationship when a group like ASCII can bring a bunch of people together and get them introduced to each other and they're willing to sit down and talk to each other is extremely powerful. I think that last part is the biggest component to it, that they're willing to talk to each other because I've been in this industry in a while in different verticals. There are some industries where IT solution providers still are kind of like this old school mentality that what they're doing is top secret and they can't let anyone else know what they're doing. And so they go to trade shows and they don't really interact with each other as much. Which is, it's so silly because, yeah, I mean, we all yeah. have access to the same stuff. We're all doing things essentially the same way. But the truth of the matter is, is that it's your secret sauce, your people and the way that you do things are what's different, not the company and the stuff that you're selling, because we all have access to the same stuff. Exactly. Yep, exactly. So last question here for you, um, just to kind of recap, it could be something we've already discussed or something we haven't, but what's the number one piece of parting advice you'd like to share with other solution providers related to finding and retaining good people? Oh my goodness. The one thing that, that's difficult to pin down. I think the biggest thing though, especially for us, and I hope it is for other people too, is really talk to the people that you're looking to bring into your company. 
kind of figure out what page that they're on. And if you are not doing background checks, background check these people. If you don't know, um, you know, whether or not they, they have been arrested or have some legal case pending against them or, you know, whatever it is that they have going on in their life somewhere can actually affect the way that you do business and affect what they're doing in your business. So be careful who you're bringing in, not necessarily just, you know, the, the technical expertise that that person has. Yeah, that's a good good piece of advice as well. Uh, for those who haven't done background checks, where do you even get those done and how much do those cost? So depending on, again, your mileage is going to vary depending on where you are. In the United States here, you can go to any local uh, government agency, police department kind of thing and ask to have a background check run. I don't know how much they're going to charge you for it. Some of them are, you know, $10, $15. Some of them are up to $50. It all depends on, you know, the situation. There are plenty of online places that you can have done too, that they can just run a quick background check for you. Same kind of thing. They're going to be, you know, anywhere between $10 and $60, somewhere around in there. Okay. So it's not like it's overly expensive, but you should check. Yeah, absolutely. And if they give you references, call them. Call the references? Call the references. Oftentimes people don't, right? Yes. And so, I I mean, I could could argue or one could argue that references are only going to be people that they, you know, they prepped to give a, a glowing review. Is that you don't find that or how do you get past that? What kind of questions do you ask? You know, when they give you previous companies that they've worked for, the company is going to say, yes, they have worked there or no, they have not. And that's pretty much all that you're going to get from a company. A personal reference, you're right. Chances are they're only going to give you a uh, glowing review depending on who that they've asked to give them a reference. So I think the the biggest thing is asking straight up, you know, hey, is there something that I need to be aware of with this person? Hmm. Okay. And depending on the person, they're going to tell you one way or the other. I mean, if they're like, if they pause for a long enough time and they're like, <laughs> no, no, nothing, nothing here to talk about, then, you know, maybe there is. But I mean, I I would just ask straight up, like, hey, is there anything that I need to be aware of? You know, do they have anything, you know, weird personality kinds of things or something that, you know, would help me talk to them better or, you know, whatever the case might be. You never know what information you'll get. Yeah. All right. Well, let's end it on that. That's that's great. Don, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on the on the Zazcast. We really appreciate you sharing some some of the ingredients to your secret sauce. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you um, initiating the call and getting this going. All right. Thanks to Don Sizer for joining us for this episode. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on a future episode, send an email to podcast at xaasjournal.com. As a reminder, our publication's goal is to help IT solution providers identify and quickly tap into new sources of recurring revenue For more information or to sign up for our free newsletter, visit xaasjournal.com. And to ensure you don't miss out on future episodes of the Zazzcast, subscribe via iTunes, Spotify, Google, or Stitcher. Thanks and have a great day.